Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, we did it. We made it to Zendikar Rising. This is our last episode that we're going to be paying homage to the format. <laughs> How do you feel? I feel good. Uh, you know, I have actually been touching the format uh, through some coaching sessions in the past few weeks, but personally, I have not been firing up any Zendikar Rising draft queues. So it was nice a little bit to go through the the visual spoiler to get our 50 takes yesterday. And also it was interesting. I don't think we've ever done this before. So usually when Ben and I prep the show um, or we prep the show notes for each episode, one person takes the lead, one person starts the Google Doc, and then the other person will come in and like add a little bit of stuff or edit a few things, and then we'll, we'll be good to go. This was the first time, I think, in 181 episodes where we wrote the Google Doc at the same time. It's a good thing that we did it together, too, because usually what happens is the person that starts the 50 takes episode gets the job of doing like the first 30 takes, which is super easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other yeah. person has the last 20 takes. And this time we were both working on it simultaneously, and the last like 30 takes were still <laughs> a slog for Zendikar Rising. Yeah, I was chronicling a little bit of our uh, prep yesterday on Twitter, just uh, trying to blast Ben a little bit. But uh, yeah, it was it was pretty fun. And I think we got some good takes here um, for summing up the format and then for folks who are coming back to it when it reappears on Magic Online or Magic Arena. Also, it's just really cool. Google Docs, you know, that we could be collaborating on the same doc. Could you imagine if that was possible when we were growing up just school wise or whatever? It's neat. Would you have used it? Like, like to do a group project or whatever? Yeah. Where Where were you in the group project life? In school, were you like, I'm just going to go along with whatever people do, or I'm going to take charge and be the leader? Oh, I was a firm hater of group projects. I mean, to the surprise of no one, I think, but like, I needed to get a good grade on the assignment mm-hmm. and I didn't trust other people to do what they needed to do. So usually I was the the person that got stuck doing all of the work, but not because I wanted to be doing all the work, just because I needed to make sure that it got done right so that I got a good grade. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why Ben and I get along so well, <laughs> <It's> because <laughs> we are the same in that respect. All right. So yeah, so today we are doing our Zendikar Rising 50 Takes in 50 Minutes episode. This is uh, the Lord's Limited way of sending off each format in style. But before we get into those 50 points, we have a few housekeeping things to take care of. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. Um, we got a lot of sweet stuff going on over to the Patreon. I really do think the Discord, as we say each and every week, is the best place on the internet for 24-7 limited tech support. Um, it's really, really awesome. It's a fantastic community. We have basically every format covered in there you know we did an overhaul of the discord a few weeks maybe it's now months ago what is time anyway these days but uh (laughs) but we've got the discord i think really in a good spot in terms of being applicable to the most people and then you can sort of pick and choose which sets you're interested in like having pop up for you in terms of discussions you want to be a part of a lot of other good stuff over at the patreon page in terms of the tiers of ways you can give back and then what you get for giving back uh, from us so any any and all that stuff is available on our Patreon page if you're interested in this uh, season of giving. And of course, we want to welcome each and every one of our new patrons on air the first week that they join. So this week, we're welcoming Ethan, Edward, and James. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. The show is also brought to you in part now by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related, Pokemon related now too. They've got channel Pokemon on over there. That's right. But some big things going on at Channel Fireball. You saw on Twitter, or if you're not on MTG Twitter, you might have missed out. There's Inkland custom tokens that they've made for a lot of their uh, first run of people that join the affiliate creator program. So like Foxy, Corticals, Riley, a bunch of other folks all had tokens made and they look fantastic. Yeah, I was like 
that that gif of homer drooling from the simpsons that was like <laughs> me looking at those on twitter they're so so good she knocked them out of the park yeah and i think they're looking at running back a season two where they feature or the podcasts and other things that maybe didn't get come around the first time so yours truly might be on the next uh, run of tokens we'll have to wait and see fingers crossed baby they've also got a magical holiday booster crate going at channel fireball right now huge deal mostly featuring a commander legends booster box so if there's a magic player in your life that might want a commander legends booster box you can get them the magical holiday crate and as a result of every purchase they're going to donate to no kids hungry 50 meals to children throughout the u.s so a really thoughtful gift for a planeswalker in your life they can also do some good irl and so they've got that commander legends booster box plus a bunch of the other promos type deals that have been in those holiday gift boxes yeah, so anything and all that you're doing over at ChannelFireball.com, please use the code LOL, all caps, when you check out to let them know we sent you there. And then just the last little bit of housekeeping here, we're, you know, Ben and I last week uh, sort of mapped out all of our episodes leading up to uh, Caldeem releasing at the end of January. And we're going to be doing uh, to round out 2020 because we didn't get to do one in Vegas. We got a, did a live show last year at GP Vegas. We didn't get to do that this year. So we're going to do a live Q&A episode on Twitch. Um, so you can check that out in two weeks. We're going to be doing that on Sunday, the 27th at 10 a.m. Eastern. I guess we need to pick a channel here, Ben. Yours or mine? Yours, for sure. All right. So you can check that out at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. We'll probably be there for a couple hours. We'll try and get some questions in in advance as well so we can sort of start things off and then have chat rolling in with some questions. That should be a fun time as well. So make sure you check that out. 10 a.m. Eastern on December 27th. Yeah. And if you're on the Discord, just feel free to DM Ethan or I any questions you've got. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Ben. Well, no time like the present. Are you ready to dive into our 50 takes for Zendikar Rising? Let's do it. Okay. Number one, Zendikar Rising can be summed up in one word types. I think, you know, there's a lot of hype going into this format, MDFCs, kicker, tribal, party, and I think types reign supreme. Tribal decks and party decks are the strongest things you can do in the format. Yeah, absolutely. I think whether a card was a warrior or a wizard made a lot of difference through how you evaluated it and when you were taking it and what you were trying to do. Ultimately, the four best things you could do were those four tribal decks, Wizards, warriors, clerics, and rogues. Yeah, I think so. And and I do think that that party as well. I mean, certainly red black party, I think, was one of the best decks to get into, partially because it was so supported at common, but we'll get to that in just a little bit. But yeah, I think, you know, looking back, this is just another point that I need to keep hammering home for myself is that like when it is the foremost mechanic in the format, you know, when they're introducing something like party, I just have to trust that that's going to be supported. I was very skeptical of, of assembling a full party or a large party in limited very often, and it was very, very possible. Well, but you could have said the same about landfall, right? And landfall wasn't very supported despite being one of the headliner mechanics. That's true. Okay, so I won't be myself up too bad. Yeah. Number two, Zendikar Rising is about macro synergies and almost not at all about micro synergies. So and what we mean by that, there aren't really a lot of build arounds in the set or cards that really incentivize you to change your pick order. And I think that's one of the main reasons that the format fell so flat after about the first you know, two months of its life or whatever. Yeah, I think so. Right. I, going over the visual spoiler yesterday to do the 50 takes, I realized like there are no cards that I was like, oh yeah, you get to do, if you take this card, you get to do this card. Whereas opposed to Kaladesh Remastered, right? That's like build around central. Right. Absolutely. There's just not a lot of cards where you take it and the value of cards through the rest of the draft change. Once you certainly, once you take a clerics card or whatever, all the clerics become a lot better. Or once you take a wizard, all the wizards cards become a lot better, but that's not the most interesting thing in the world. There's nothing like Dance of the Mance from Throne of Eldraine where all of a sudden you're totally changing your pick order and trying to build this new archetype. There really were just the 10 archetypes and that's about it. 
Yeah, I think so. And I, I agree. That's one of the reasons that I don't think we are we were super hot on this format after about the first month or so. Number three, there are basically no reasons to move into green and white at common. I would say the exception to this rule, perhaps, is Core Celebrant and Shepherd of Heroes. But certainly no cards in green make me want to move into that color. And white, I think, is slightly ahead there because it does have some good ones. But uh, but even so, I'm a little skeptical of moving into white at common as well. Where'd you land between Core Celebrant and Shepherd of Heroes? Pack one, pick one. I think it's Core Celebrant for me these days. I think that's where it is for me, too. I think Core Celebrant is more important to making the Clerics deck tick. And I would rather go harder after the Clerics deck first. And I think Shepherd of Heroes is probably better in a party deck, but also just three CMC versus five CMC everything we've been talking about the cheaper card when in doubt i think is the better one yeah and i think some folks believe that core celebrant doesn't really belong in aggro decks i think they would be surprised to see it in like a red white warriors deck or a red white party deck and i think that's just not true because of just how much of a formidable body it is and how impossible it makes racing for your opponent yeah core celebrant is good i think moving into white at common though i would still be kicking and screaming for the most part yeah like first picking a core celebrant does not incentivize me to draft white i'm still looking to pivot off that into doing better things absolutely number four shame that you didn't get this point i know Reclaim the waste is the best green common all right so i'll defend this and then you can defend your opposite <laughs> opinion so i think it does what green does best it has kicker synergy it ensures land drops are going to be given and it enables splashing yeah i think it's very good i would argue that there just isn't a best green common almost like the green's so bad that you shouldn't be letting any commons pull you into green i guess if you take reclaim i don't know i think it just starts you down a dangerous path in the draft of of all of the green commons i think reclaim is probably the highest upside but i don't think the ordering really matters because i think you're never getting into it at common i think that's true i think also that you know if it's pick six ish and i feel like my draft isn't going well i would rather see a reclaim there than a rabid bite or a gnarled colony i think that's 100 percent true yeah i agree with and that. that's when i'm getting into green unless i have like one of the the few cards at rare or mythic or uncommon that make me say okay i can draft green um, you know, unless I have those at the start of my draft, that's the way that I get into green otherwise. Agreed. Number five, the holy trinity of Zendikar Rising is Sneaking Guide, Grotag Bugcatcher, Ardent Electromancer. Love that guy, Ardent Electromancer. That was the one thing this format did right. That turn where I got to top deck a mountain and go Electromancer, 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 Minotaur. That was peak Magic the Gathering and one of the best feelings I've had on stream probably ever. The only shame or the only thing that's disappointing about that is that it was turn four and not turn three. Yeah, I'm not even disappointed yeah, about it. It was <laughs> it's it's so awesome. If you, if you all have not seen that clip, be sure you head on over to Ben's Twitch page to check it out. It is one of the most satisfying things you'll ever see. <laughs> Yeah, or when we're live, you can type in exclamation point Electromancers if you ever want to relive it and say, concede, Cedrus. Cedrus. Do you, and you you know who Cedrus is, right? Yeah, double exposure. We're just going to dox them. Yeah, absolutely. I told them that they needed to change their handle everywhere to Cedrus because they were famous. <laughs> but I don't know if they're going yeah, to take me up on that. Number six, Kicker's an honorary tribe. I think Blue Green Kicker gets lumped into the best things to do in the format. It's up there in the top five decks with the other things, Clerics, Warriors, Rogues, Wizards etc. Um, but it really does, I think, just Kicker in and of itself is a really powerful mechanic. And then the synergies that they layered on top of just Kicker being great, you know, your Roost of Drakes and friends were just really, really powerful. And I think it made Kicker one of the better decks in the format. Yeah, Vine Gecko, I think, is one of the few cards at non-rare and green that make me go, all right, 
I, I'm in for this card. Like Vine Gecko on two and to reclaim the wastes on three was a very frequent play pattern for me that I really enjoyed. I think it probably is in fourth place for me. Maybe it's in fifth place. I don't know. It's close. In terms of like archetypes. those five top five archetypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's ahead of warriors for me for sure. Um, but certainly behind clerics and rogues. I think clerics and rogues went out as the top two decks. Yeah, I think I'm actually on wizards for myself, but I, I think kicker does fall behind those other two for me yeah, as well. I agree. Number seven, blue is the best color in the set and it's not particularly close. I mean, maybe close, but clear. So I think and I, I would be surprised if other people felt differently, but I think the power rankings for us are blue number one, red probably maybe a close-ish number two, then black, then a gap, then white, and then another gap, and then green. Yeah, I think that seems very clear to me as well. And I do agree, red's kind of close to blue, but blue is just so absurd. And I think it was interesting. A lot of people had red as one of the worst colors yeah. in the first week or two of the format, and it just kept steadily rising as Royal Eruption and Grotag Bugcatcher stock kept rising, and people figured out how to draft it. Well, and then I also think like the fact that that has the Holy Trinity in its color, the Sneaking Guide, Bug Catcher, Electromancer package, and then even Fisher Wizard. Like, Red's commons run pretty deep. Right. I mean, but blue was good enough that when we all looked at the spoiler, it was like, whoa, blue is ridiculous. And then it just panned out that way in gameplay as well. The yes. blue was just absurd. The The top eight blue commons were all cards that were very, very, very good in any blue deck. Yep. Agreed. Number eight, we thought MDFCs were incredibly game breaking and we were incredibly wrong. This wah, is, wah. Yeah, this is like probably the biggest point or like one of the biggest shifts from our initial impressions and even our first few weeks getting our hands on the cards to where we shook out at the end of the format. Yeah, I think they're still good cards. You know, MDFC pile is definitely a backdoor deck that you can draft. But in general, one of the best things to do is find your lane in one of those tribal decks and then grab whatever on color MDFCs happen to come your way, rather than going aggressively after the MDFCs and letting those dictate what archetype you end up in. Right. I mean, they were they're powerful in that they they give you a lot of flexibility in the game. And I still believe that's true. I think them being in a tribal set sort of bumped them down a notch as the format progressed. Like, I think if we were in a different format, like if MDFCs existed in Kaladesh, I'd be interested to see how that worked out. But because the decks are so on rails and you're so rewarded for for carving out your lane or finding that that tribal lane and sticking to it, that the MDFCs then are sort of an afterthought. Yes, I agree completely. So the format, everyone was on it being the GOAT format, right? In the first week, two weeks, month, whatever. And that was when mdfcs were still up in the air and people were picking them aggressively because it was interesting right that's Mm -hmm. why people were talking about it being the goat format because there was so much tension between when you pick an mdfc and when you take your you know best commons and that sort of thing but ultimately it shook out that you're just not supposed to pick the mdfcs very highly and that's when i think the format kind of plateaued as far as replayability yeah number nine rakdos party is the best deck at common i think this is largely off the backs of grotag bug catcher and black's best common creature malakir blood priest um but this deck is very real and it's one of my favorite decks in the format because of how reliable it is yeah and i think you can go after a lot of the other decks you know you can go after a cleric's deck or you can go after warriors you can go after wizards and if you get cut out of it audibling into red black party is pretty easy to do because it's all commons and if it's open at all you're going to be able to put some amount of the pieces together to have a good party deck yeah number 10 roost of drakes is the best uncommon build around ever printed full stop you know i was on the first reboot episode of magic tv and we did our like top eight limited build arounds this was number eight and i think it may be even kind of unfair like is this actually a build around 
Like it doesn't actually change your pick order, and it's just nuts in any blue deck because blue has so many kicker cards. I suppose, but I mean, as far as like power level, it's got to be through the roof compared to others, right? Yeah, I mean, like, it's so funny that we have this and Zenith Flare in the same year, almost like back-to-back sets as just like insane uncommons that may just be the best cards in the set full stop. Okay, I might already be walking back my hot take. Maybe Zenith Flare is the best ever printed. <laughs> I mean, that is, I mean, but is that even a build around? I mean, I guess it, it is. Like, you then are just snapping up all the things that say cycling on them over other things. Anyway, one of the top two ever printed. <laughs> <laughs> and is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, Roost of Drakes was not particularly interesting to me because it was so rawly powerful. Yeah, I think it was not a great thing. I think not. I think like, you know, you add, just tack on like when you kick a thing, pay one makes this a lot more reasonable. Yes. Number 11, Blue White Party revolves around many copies of a few key cards. So we're talking Seafloor Stalker, Practice Tactics, Spoils of Adventure, and Shepherd of Heroes mainly. And I think Seafloor Stalker is probably top of the heap there. Um, And Practice Tactics, this is like the best deck for tactics. And it's great because you can get them like 10th pick when you're in this deck. Right. And they perform very well. And they're one of the only ways blue and white have to just get something off the battlefield, which is one of the things that stopped, I think, blue white party from being one of the top tier of decks. But if you did get C4 stalkers, you could come up the ground, you know, get some card advantage with spoils of adventure, buff your life total with shepherd of heroes. That was the recipe for success, right? And mm-hmm. you could even substitute field research in for spoils of adventure so basically it was just like stall the game out and then win with seafloor stalker yeah this was a deck i came to pretty late in the life of this format for me and it was one that really once i figured it out or once i got my hands on it i was like oh i get it i see how this deck ticks yeah it's a good little deck number 12 tazim raptor kazandu stomper and pyroclastic helion were underrated initially then overrated And I think they finally ended up just being solid cards, right? So nobody really had these in their top commons. And then everybody was like, whoa, Kazandu Stomper is the best green common and all this other stuff. There was a way of reaction once people figured out how powerful the MDFCs were in the first week. Well, the first time that you played your MDFC as a land and then in the mid game picked it up with a Hellion or a Stomper and then you realize, oh, I got to use this as a land for four turns and now I get to cast it as a spell. I've, I've never experienced anything like that in Limited before. It was incredibly powerful. Right. And somehow still not as powerful <laughs> as the tribal synergies, right? Yeah. Right. Which is just shows you how magic sets are changing, right? Raw card advantage, raw card quality just matters less because that is insanely powerful. Turning a land into a spell in the middle of the game that's a relevant spell, but it just couldn't compete with curving out in tribal synergies. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, yeah, I think those cards are just like totally solid now, probably on the outside looking in of all the like top commons in their respective color, but still solid for sure. Yeah, and definitely keys if you wanted the MDFC pile deck to come together, you know, you would be happy to picking these cards up, you know, seventh, eighth pick or maybe even on the wheel. Yeah. Number 13, Cliffhaven Kite Sail is the key piece of equipment at common to making Boros Warriors a very strong aggro deck. I mean, we've seen this effect a lot in the past, right? Cobbled Wings or Wings of Hubris from Theros, like these common equipments that Grant Flying perform better than you think they will. Yeah, I've been a huge fan ever since uh, we crushed Theros Beyond Death uh, GP New Jersey with the old... Uh, the Wings of Hubris mainboard tech. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, in this format, the 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 Alex Nik- Nikolich branded curve out of Cliffhaven Sword on two into Coreblade Master and Kite auto-equipped to the Sword attack for six in the air. 
that's just like an absurd start to any game. Yeah, and I think Boros Warriors was very real, and you could even do it without the the Blade Master, but you definitely needed you know one to two kite sails, and I think you'd even probably play three. Wow, that's that's a that's a hot take right there, but that's what we're here for the fifty takes. <laughs> Number fourteen, Stonework Pack Piece does so much work. Yeah, so I think we're gonna from from this point forward, we're gonna be awarding in the fifty takes episode the Forbidden Friendship Award as the like this is the synergy glue card, whatever makes your future picks better. So I think Pack Beast for sure gets the Forbidden Friendship Award in this set. Absolutely, it's the epitome of everything we talk about. You know, the synergy theory, the reasons versus rewards, drafting a deck, not a pile of cards, all that stuff that we talk about in all the level up episodes. This embodies all of that and i think you know if you're putting it on the reason reward scale this is almost it's almost a reason it's almost that powerful for all of the other cards becoming better it's it's not quite but it's definitely in the reward tier yeah well or, or just like it's just like a super role player it is the top tier role player because it's going to go into every single deck that's where it more sits in my mind yeah probably true like if you're really putting it on the thing but it's so good at being a role player that you're picking it at the level that you're picking rewards certainly yeah and i think like even like midway through some drafts you can go like well is this pack piece really that good for me and it's so hard to not find at least a handful of things where you're like oh well it makes my expedition skulker have death touch or it's gonna make my minute tour just like one mana cheaper or just like it does all these little things and it's going to keep doing those as the draft progresses i was telling ethan before we started recording about the i don't know if any of you are on magic twitter but there's a lava axe windrake debate going on on twitter right now where if there were stations where you could add those cards to your deck along with basic lands if there was a stonework pack beast station in zendikar rising oh you'd be hitting that station up a lot that station would be empty there'd just be nothing left (laughs) for sure all right number 15 the official lords of limited gold uncommon power ranking is number one soaring thought thief number two cleric of life's bond number three umara mystic number four kargan war leader number five spoils of adventure Number six, Lull Mage's Familiar. Number seven, Moss Pit Skeleton. Number eight, Ravager's Mace. Number nine, Marasa Root Grazer. And number 10, Poor Brushfire Elemental. Hey, Brushfire Elemental sees plenty of constructed play. It's just fine. That's right. It just happens to be pretty hot garbage and limited. <laughs> this is a first also for Lords of Limited. You made this list and I did not have a single thing that I would like to change. Normally, there's some hemming and hawing, some I think you're wrong about this in these rankings. There was none of that this time. Is that just because of your apathy towards the format? <laughs> no. <laughs> I agree with what you have here. I think it's good. Number 16, Molten Blast is still good even as a worse abrade. And I think that's, you know, comparing it to a braid makes me... Th- view it a lot more favorably even than i did and i was pretty hard proponent of one molten blast in your deck is just fine it's fine to good yeah i mean like just blowing up a pack beast or a skyclave sentinel creatures are somewhat small in the format generally like especially like kicker creatures you know you have a lot of options of you can have this as a one one or a two two but then you can kick it later and sometimes people are just going to run those out early in the game like molten blast generally had relevant targets and i think people poo-pooed it a lot and it went late a lot early in the format well and i think too also the cycle of relics is really good in all of the tribal decks too and randomly getting to nab your opponent's relic file or relic amulet felt amazing absolutely number 17 
Risen Riptide is not a key part of the kicker deck. Or a key card in the format, period, if you want to go that far. Yeah, it really is. I mean, this is one of, I think, the cards that, you know, MDFCs in general fell from grace. I think this is perhaps at common, the card that fell the most from grace from, I think it was in the top three blue commons for me, even after like a week. And it's not even close anymore. It is a card I do not care about. It is replaceable and then perhaps a role player once I get a couple copies of Into the Royal. But other than that, I do not care about this card. Right. I think most people had it as the third best or maybe on the edge of their top commons. And then after the first week, there was a lot of hype about it being the first or second best blue common. And then it really did fall off the rails. Well, the argument was like, well, look at the other top four commons in blue, right? You're looking, or even five, right? You have Into the Royal, Bubble Snare, Tazim, Royal Mage, Cunning Geyser Mage, and Field Research. And they all have Kicker. So wouldn't Risen Riptide be insane? And it was like, no, you just want the things with Kicker. You just don't care about this. Right. Number 18, the Battle Royal. Which is the best common, Into the Royal or Royal Eruption? You know, and, and this question may seem silly right now because I think, you know, but you, both you and I are on Royal Eruption as the best common in the set. But that wasn't where we were at at the beginning of the format. Right. I think I was on Into the Royal as the best common overall. Yeah. And it's close. Into the Royal is very, very good. But Royal Eruption is really powerful. You know, the, the the setback of it being sorcery speed is really made up by how efficient it is and the fact that it has kicker synergies and can go face like this does end a lot of games just on its own. Right. And can be rebought by Tazim Royal Mage. All of that stuff yeah. added up to it just being absurd that you can rebuy it and then do the last five to your opponent's dome. And I don't think it's particularly close anymore. I think there's a pretty significant gap between Royal Eruption and all of the other commons for me. Yes, I agree. Number 19, the secret gold card uncommons for the four tribal decks are rewarded rewards not reasons and really this is this is most of the things it's funny it's a tribal set but there aren't a ton of reasons to do tribal things there's a lot of like well once i know i'm in that thing i'm happy to pick up these cards but there's not a lot that incentivize you you know if you think about putting the relics as well on the list of the 10 uh gold uncommons as well but these four secret gold cards at uncommon are in that category as well attended healer sure-footed infiltrator shadow stinger and gomafada vanguard and i think of those attended healer is the best and i think you can make a case that that's a reason and not a reward yeah i think that's where i land personally but i agree with the others like sure-footed infiltrator was another card at the start of the format i remember in one of our showdown videos it was a card that i like back-to-back first picked because i was like this is a reason to do rogues but it just really isn't right i think if i were ranking them it would be attended healer one gomafada vanguard two and then the other two tied at three i couldn't care less which one of those i have yeah i think infiltrators ahead of stinger for me for sure stinger is really narrow number 20 mdfc's overrated or underrated right now as the format is winding down you know maybe i just want ethan of three months ago to have been right but i think they're underrated right now i think they are as well they're wheeling a lot and even the bad ones are wheeling a lot and the difference between a deck that has three mdfcs and one mdfc i think is pretty large now you shouldn't take them and let them dictate what you're going to do but if you find the open color pair you should be taking them over all replacement level commons and even sometimes over role players i think when folks end a cube draft and they have like no non-basic lands i'm always like what happened what did you do wrong (laughs) and that's how i feel when i see a zendikar rising deck that has zero mdfcs in it i'm like is that how you talk to your coaching students yeah what did you do here yeah i was like what do you have to say for yourself (laughs) 
<laughs> Hang your head in shame, sir. <laughs> Number 21, Rune Crab is not as good as Twitch chat thinks it is. Yeah, I am not all about the Rune Crab life, and I think I'm in the minority there. I certainly think in Best of One, it is not impactful enough to be worth including in Best of One, unless you're in a Blue-Black Rogues deck where you're going to take advantage of the opponent getting eight or more cards in their library, or you have like two to three copies of it. But a single Ruin Crab in Best of One is not going to mill the opponent out fast enough to where it's worth including in your deck. And I think even in Best of Three, I would almost rather bring it in out of the sideboard than I would include it in the main deck. Again, if we're talking a single Ruin Crab and I'm not taking advantage of the opponent having eight or more cards in their graveyard. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I might be siding with Twitch chat here. I have, oh, no. I have died to a lot of turn one ruin crabs in my day. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. It's just like, I, I think that card is the definition of cheese in best of one. You think it's good in best of one? I do. Yeah, I just, I don't. I don't think I'm including it in every single blue deck. Like, I could definitely see ending the draft and being like, well, blue red wizards, this is like really off plan. But I do think I put one copy in a lot of blue decks a lot of the time. All right, fair enough. Yeah, there we go. Uh, you heard it here. A podcast Ethan, divided. Ethan loves Twitch chat. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. Yeah. Number 22, a slight knock against the format. And we've already sort of talked about this a little bit, but there are not many cards that incentivize you to build decks outside of the streamlined two color pair decks. And everything really starts to feel homogenous in the format after a while. You know, when you're playing a game and your opponent plays Mountain Plains, you know exactly what your opponent's strategy is. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the most disappointing things for the format for me is that it feels repetitive. It sort of feels constructed-ish in a, in a way. Like when I did my little dip into constructed, you know, your opponent goes Forest Mountain or whatever, and you know what their deck is. You know that you have to start, you start to think like, okay, I need to make sure they don't have a, a five power creature on turn four so they can play Great Henge or whatever, because that's something that you need to think about. And I don't like that. I don't like having this sort of like face up, chess style matches and that is sort of what limited started to feel like because all of the color pairs i mean outside of really green i feel like green had some like okay maybe they're green white aggro or they're green white and the fc pile and they're splashing but you know your opponent goes playing swamp you know what their deck is you know you're hoping they don't play cleric of life's bond on turn two and that you know you're like gonna strap in for a long game here right i mean and they might be white black party but the party decks were similar enough to the tribal decks that it really didn't change the game that much yeah number 23 bubble snare is the best enchantment removal we have seen in a long time i would say since dreadful apathy in theris beyond death so why is bubble snare so good it's flexible and it's synergistic right so you can cast it for four mana to just tap something down. You can play it for a single mana to lock something down permanently that's already tapped, which is an absurdly efficient rate, especially for something like best of one. And then the fact that it's modal and has the kicker synergy to go along with all the kickers matter cards makes it really, really, really powerful over the course of a longer game as well. And yeah, you can get punished, but there were less things that punished it in the format as well, as far as like people bouncing their thing back to their hand. You know, it was really just into the royal and cunning geyser mage. Yeah, I, I, it's so interesting, like coming off of Kaladesh Remastered, where these two cards exist and they're separate cards, right? Bubble Snare kicked is malfunction and Bubble Snare unkicked is ice over, but it, ice over costs two mana. So we get a mana reduction and it's a split card. It's pretty wild power creep yeah number 24 this set brought us two huge upgrades for limited staples in mind drain and field research so this is the best a mind rot has ever been in limited right i think that's probably true and i think it's also the best 
field research divination has ever been as well yeah well the fact that it has kicker is wild like you know ever i think i've said this before on the podcast but anytime my opponent casts field research on turn five like i felt like i dodged a bullet i'm like i just drew a card because <laughs> <laughs> you i've narrowly dodged you drawing three off of this and mind drain i think because this format you know it's the reason that cards like tormenting voice or i forget the valakut whatever the the rare flip land you know those sorts of effects aren't very good because both lands and spells matter in this set there's very few times where you have like an extra card lying around in your hand that you're interested in pitching. And so, you know, at any step of the way, whether you had two cards in your hand or five cards in your hand, Mind Drain felt really bad. I agree. Mind Drain was backbreaking. Number 25, Skyclave Squid gets the Lords of Limited most improved award. I think this card, like, you know, from I went from looking at this card and going, this is basically Moat Piranhas to like, I just think this is, one of the best two drops in the format. It does everything. It's a great blocker. It's a great attacker. Blue can play the long game. It can play a tempo game and Skyclave Squid slots into either of those plans. Yeah, it's really sad state of affairs that the best landfall card at common might not be like red, green or white. Yeah, well, and that's like maybe a kudos to Watsi. They successfully nerfed landfall. I think maybe that was a goal of theirs. Mission accomplished. Yeah. Number 26, the setup cost for Lull Mage's Domination is more about the triple blue in the mana cost than it is getting your opponent to eight cards in the graveyard. I think once you assembled triple blue, you were generally taking the card that you wanted to take with Lull Mage's Domination. The choking point was not reducing the overall mana cost of the card right the setup in draft and deck building was never like oh do i have enough ways to mill my opponent it was always do i have 10 or more islands in my deck and if you had 10 or more islands in your deck it was almost like little mage's domination was an extra reward for already playing a lot of the best color in the format which (laughs) was just (laughs) adding insult to injury i think exactly yeah yeah Number 27, Song Mad Treachery and Kazul's Fury could not be further in power level. And it's really wild because I had these lumped together at the beginning. And now I think they're like a full letter grade apart. Right. Kazul's Fury is very good in MDFC that you're actively happy to go after aggressively. And Song Mad Treachery, I think sometimes on the borderline of just not even including if you already had a bunch of MDFCs. Yeah. Well, and Kazul's Fury, just the fact that picking it up with Hellion or Stomper was six damage, like... The fact that you just didn't need to get your opponent that low before this was lethal felt really bad. Like you you just anytime my opponent picked up this card, I was like, oh, I'm dead. Like there's just nothing I can do because it's a land. Yep. Number 28, the Lords of Limited official Relic power rankings in the number one slot, Relic Amulet. And then number two, Relic Vile. Number three, Relic Golem. And number four, Relic Axe. And really, I I could switch Axe and Golem. They're very close in my mind. Yeah, I mean, the times when your opponent turbo mills you with Ruin Crab into Relic Golem, those are the feel-bads for sure. That happened to me several times over the course of the format. Relic Golem, I think, is the one that has the widest range as far as level of bustedness. In the last uh, Just Loleman streamer showdown that I participated in, I drafted this really sick red-white aggro deck. And in round one, I played against Foxy and both game one and two, she went maddening cacophony on two (laughs) into Relic Golem on three. And I was like, I just my deck cannot beat a turn three, six, six. I have no way to like push through this card. And I was all like, I'm doing bug catcher into electromancer into and I'm just like, oh, I had there's a six, six brick walling my board now. Sweet. Yeah, feel bad. (laughs) Number 29, Red Green Landfall Aggro was a good deck. 
but you needed to be absolutely 100% positively sure you were the only red-green drafter before moving in. And even then, the deck didn't always get there because you needed you needed the uncommons, but then you also needed the hellhounds and you needed the hellhounds to wheel so that you could take the royal eruptions when you saw them. It just like everything had to go right for those decks to work out. When it did, though, that deck smacked people around. Didn't you have a like turn four kill in limited? I did have a turn four kill, yeah, towards the beginning of the format in the first couple weeks. With like a Vastwood Surge on turn four or whatever? Yeah. I also had one time where I audibled into it in a CFB draft fit and I had a very good deck too. So, I mean, you could definitely do the thing. It just was a unique set of circumstances for it to all come together. Number 30, the Lords of Limited official best MDFC of each color. In white, the award goes to Kabira Takedown. This is non-rare. This is non-rare, yes. Otherwise, it would be the rares in Mythic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in blue, I would say Umara Wizard. In black, Black Bloom Rogue. In red, Kazool's Fury. And in green, Balaged Recovery. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think you put Kazool's Fury here for red, and I agree. But I think left to my own devices, I may have put the Akum Warrior on this list and i think that card also sort of fell from grace for me yeah it just a six mana four five wasn't good enough in the format yeah i mean like the heuristic of or the thinking about mdfcs as like the best ones were the ones that were like expensive or like they were good at different parts of the game right in your opener you'd play them as lands and then it would be sweet if you top deck them and then it was you had a six mana four five but that wasn't actually quite how things shook out well right the game was already decided by the time that you were playing your six mana four five trample for the most part i think yeah number 31 seagate stormcaller is insane with kicker spells i remember the first time i like truly experienced this busted card was i think with you on stream yeah we were drafting together we were drafting together we drafted a really good blue red deck and I just like didn't quite clock how ridiculous this was with cards like Royal Eruption or Into the Royal that like, you know, you could kick into the Royal and copy it and it was still like a card that was two CMC or less or just like obviously copying Royal Eruption is busted. But just how easy that is because of how cheap this card is. I, I didn't quite put that together looking at its face value. Yeah, the card's really disgusting. I remember in the draft portion, I had already played with it, so I knew how nuts it was. And you were like, eh, I don't know if Seagate, Seagate Stormcaller is the pick here. And I was like, no, it, it is. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> we took it and then it was awesome in the games. Yeah. And you trophied that deck. And you're like texting me. You're like, that is one of the grossest decks I've drafted this set. A hundred percent. Yeah. Number 32. One of the most interesting things in the format was balancing the tribal slash party decks in the tribal color pairs. So when you were drafting blue red, were you drafting straight blue red wizards? Were you drafting blue red party? Were you drafting blue red wizards with a party sub theme? You know, maybe you had some Grotag bug catchers and some stonework pack beasts to try to make your bug catchers better, but you were still pretty heavy wizards. I think that was by far the most entertaining part about the format for me. Yeah, I mean, just like towing the line between those two things or figuring out which was your main focus and which you were going to have a sub theme for. And then like all of a sudden you're drafting white black party and Kabir Outrider is your four drop of choice. And you're like, oh, sweet. I get to like now I'm on this aggro spectrum. Or are you drafting black white party as a like grindy deck with two copies of blood? beckoning like those were i think the most interesting drafts for me when you had the like on rails clerics or rogues decks those were sort of snoozes i thought snoozes as drafts fun to savage your opponents with sure right right right. number 33 tribal decks are number one party decks are back doors and i would say green decks are like the garage door or like the <laughs> shed or something right <laughs> outside of blue green green based decks i think should generally be mdfc value with good fixing to get bonds removal from other colors like yes you could do 
the green black counters, the green white aggro, the green red aggro thing. But more often than not, I think all the other green decks just sort of looked the same. Yeah, and they were just not as good, right? Even even good green decks sometimes couldn't compete with the mediocre tribal decks just because the tribal stuff was so busted. Yeah. Number 34. When you have Mirag, Fury of Akum, make sure you play him pre-combat, but then play your land post-combat to give yourself that second combat step. Yeah. I don't know about you, but the first time I played with this card, I messed it up. I never got to play with him. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that that, that, that there's a lot of text oh, on this. Oh, no. That's not true. I did. I did mess it up. I remember <laughs> I played with him one time. I, it's all coming back to me now. I was uh, really tilted. Classic. Classic. Because yeah, yeah. I read it like three times, yeah. and I was like, this should work. And then it didn't work. That is exactly how I, I was like, I was like, no, I didn't screw this up. And, you know, everyone in Twitch chat is like, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And I was like rereading the card, triple reading, quadruple reading. And yeah, so don't don't make our same mistake, folks, if you've never played with Morag. Number 35, Ancient Green Warden is super sweet with MDFCs. This is another like crazy powerful thing that until I experienced it, I didn't quite realize how crazy it was getting to play an MDFC as a spell. Then play Ancient Green Warden, replay that spell as a land from your graveyard, maybe trigger landfall stuff along the way, double trigger it, uh, in fact, and then pick it up with one of those uh, three creatures at common to play again as a spell. That's just value with a capital V. Yeah, I was arguing hard for Ancient Green Warden when we did our little limited set review with you and Alex, and I think I had played with it and you guys hadn't. Card is super sweet. I remember that meeting being like, is this even better than Kazandu Stomper? Uh, <laughs> narrator, it is. <laughs> <laughs> number 36 angel of destiny is one of the most confusing cards ever but just trust us it's a bomb yeah i, I get questions about that card in chat to this day about people asking about like when to pick it or like you know have you played with this what are your thoughts on it and it is in, in my mind absolutely a bomb a, a tier card yeah i think it's very good it totally warps how the game's playing when it comes down does a lot of powerful things and even if it gets bubble snared or whatever it's still a relevant factor on the battlefield. You can still win. You can still win through damage, right? It just make it, it's really hard for your opponent to race this card and, you know, because the trigger happens after damage is dealt, you know, if your opponent's at 10, if you are able to hit them with 10 damage in combat, then you just win, right? Because then the the life gain trigger happens after. It's not life link, it is a trigger that happens after combat. Number 37, the cycle of one drops at common all did work in the various party decks. Seagate Banneret, Zulaport Duelist, Sneaking Guide and Tujuru Blightblade. Yeah, there's no black one drop but all four of these i think performed and even ober performed seagate banneret was just very good in any white deck right you were pretty happy including one copy of that and if the types mattered was sort of an extra bonus mm -hmm. zulaport duelist was great in rogues sneaking guide good in any red party deck and tajura blightblade sometimes was annoying i think you know generally best out of the sideboard for me in best of three but you know not an unreasonable include in the main deck i think it was also important in making rabid bite a relevant card as well yeah for sure number 38 canyon draboa our most disappointing preview card ever question mark i think so i, mean, I was trying to think back we usually get really good ones and we were hyped for the little mouse but uh just did not get there yeah, Landfall was too unsupported. I put the dagger of Sizzling Barrage in our show notes yeah, ben, <laughs> under point A. You ben, got a preview Sizzling Barrage. Ben trying to savage me here with uh, my first ever solo preview card being quite bad. I don't, I'm not sure I ever cast a Sizzling Barrage in the format. Oh, I cast some Sizzling Barrages. Ooh. All right, good. Well, at least at least one of us is uh, is carrying that torch. All right, number 39. The five drops in this set are replaceable but serviceable as win cons. I think, you know, Pyroclastic Hellion is is sort of obvious. I think that is clear what 
how powerful that is, what it can do. But the other ones I think are slightly underrated. They're like that, that tier we were talking about last week is like they're replaceable, but they're also like C minus level cards, which are totally fine to include. Like every time they hit the battlefield, I feel like, oh, that's a problem. So I'm talking about uh, Dreadworm, McKindy Ox, Living Tempest, and Turn Timber Ascetic. Like three of those are keyword large. McKindy Ox and Dreadworm in particular are just like very tough to deal with. Like McKindy Ox makes me go, oh, I can't race anymore. Dreadworm is really hard to deal with if you don't have like removal for it, because if it's tussling in combat, it's indestructible. I, I don't know. I, I was pretty impressed by these cards. I agree. The two that you called out, Dreadworm and McKindy Ox, were the ones in particular when they come down that I feel like, oh, geez, I'm going to lose to this card. Right. The ratio of times I included it in my deck to the times when I felt like I lost to it was pretty, the, the gap is large there. Um, and so maybe I was supposed to play with these cards a little bit more often. But I also just like that there were these sort of like fail safe. I mean, these are win cons. These are win cons at common. These are ways to win games of magic. Right. Not bad cards. You don't need to pick them highly. But, you know, when you put them in your deck and they come down on curve and you've already put some pressure on the opponent, are going to get the job done closing the door. Exactly. Number 40, Tuck Tuck Rebel Fort has reach. I think this doesn't even doesn't even make the cut here. Like, because you didn't <laughs> get punished for attacking into it as an 03, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think I think more we got to say Nissa's Zendikon has reach because in our Lords versus Resources showdown, I got to snap off a block against LSV with a Nissa's Zendikon. Did you feel like a god? Yeah, I mean, I, I promptly lost that match in three games, but it felt pretty good. And see, it's, seeing it from his perspective is pretty sweet too. <laughs> Number 41, Farsight Adept. I never cast this card, and I love when my opponent casts it. Amen. Get wrecked, Alex. This card is bad. Yeah, and again, uh, thinking about, there's a card in Kaladesh Remastered. I'm blanking on the name, but it's a two-mana 2-2. When it enters the battlefield, both players can scry one. Eager Construct. Eager Construct, thank you. So that's another card that I like really hate to include in my deck and love when my opponent casts it. I, I just think this effect isn't, these effects aren't good. That's what I said from the very beginning of the format. There were people that were all hot and bothered about this card. I was like, hot and bothered. It's a, it's a wizard in white. You're going to be able to play it in an aggro deck, and you'll be able to take more advantage of the card than your opponent is. I can say from the get-go, I hated this card, and I always argued against it. Yeah, I agree. So do we think moving forward, we should... like? These sort of symmetrical-ish effects on quote-unquote aggressive creatures or just like curve-based creatures, they're just not good, right? I mean, that's my stance, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm down for that heuristic. Number 42, Feed the Swarm ended up as the winner of Black's removal suite. So I think Feed the Swarm, the first copy, was better than Deadly Alliance. And then I think once you had the first copy of Feed the Swarm, you were probably taking multiple Deadly Alliance and then Vanquish the Weak and then Subtle Strike bringing up the rear. yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I, I think I might be on the second feed over the second alliance. I really valued that card being so so cheap, and the fact that Deadly Alliance was Deadly Alliance was a little awkward because the best black decks or the best decks were tribal decks, and so the difference between alliance costing four and being like super reduced to three or two is pretty big. I agree. Number forty three, synchronized spellcraft is the worst five CMC red removal we've seen in a while. The difference between this dealing four and dealing five was huge. Like the fact that this can't get a Hellion or a Stomper off the battlefield felt really bad. I agree. You basically only wanted this in Red Black Party. And even then you weren't sad if you didn't have a synchronized spellcraft to include in your deck. Exactly. Number 44, Clerics is the most supported tribe at common. 
So you had the the duo of Marauding Blight Priest and Core Celebrant, which was a very real way to win a game of Magic. You know, you get two, three Core Celebrants down on the battlefield, turtle up, and you have one Marauding Blight Priest. All of a sudden, every creature you play is draining for two or three. Those ways that people could win that didn't involve combat felt really tough to deal with. So like that sort of thing, the idea of, you know, picking up an MDFC like Kazool's Fury and then being able to just like throw something at your opponent's face to finish them off when they're at six, like those sorts of things that felt like you, you know, if you were stabilized, quote unquote, but then your opponent still could interact with your life total. Those were powerful. Mm -hmm. Number 45, Cliffhaven Sellsword is the best a one white three one has been in recent memory. I usually hate this kind of card, but I was a huge Sellsword fan by the end of the format. Yeah, all it takes is a little bit of synergy from this card being a warrior to make the card much, much, much better. Just the fact that this had a type made it relevant. There were a little bit less ways, I think, to punish X ones than there have been in the past as well. But, you know, the curve outs that involved Sellsword, you know, you were playing this in blue-white party. The three power still made it a good blocker. You could randomly get out to an aggressive start as well. Card just did a lot. Number 46, Scoot Swarm is a six drop, not a three drop. Yeah, don't be fooled by the 2G in the upper right corner. Uh, this really should say, like, you cannot cast this spell unless you have five lands on the battlefield. <laughs> and a land drop waiting in hand. Yeah, exactly. But once you did, I mean, I, I've said this before, it felt really close to Pack Rat to me. This feels your opponent has to have two removal spells or they're just going to lose the game yeah it's impossible to race yeah number 47 green black just didn't get there and i think the same is is true for green white i I personally think green white is the worst deck in the format but green black is close i think like the the thing for me about green black is i think moss pit skeleton is is quite good when you get that deck and hogger constrictor is also quite good like Giving all your creatures menace or most of your creatures menace does make combat tough, but you just shouldn't have ended up in those decks very often. Yeah, which is a feels bad and partly why green was so bad because the green decks just weren't supported. So they just didn't come together nearly as often as the tribal decks or the party decks. Yeah, green really did feel like it got left behind in this format. And it felt like green was supposed to be the glue for the party decks, right? Like it was tertiary in all of the types, right? So theoretically, you should have been able to do whatever, green, black, rogues or something. But it just didn't pan out that way at all. I mean, you could do green, blue wizards, but that was about the only tribal thing you could do with green. Yeah, and I still never, I never lived the green, blue wizards LSV dream. Oh, I did many times. Yeah, green, blue wizards was 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 very good. Oh, cool. Number 48, despite party being a cool twist on a tribal theme, the format ultimately still felt like drafting a tribal set, which is generally not very interesting as far as limited sets go. Right, it's... It- just felt pretty on rails for the most part. Once you got into those lanes and you're like choosing between, you know, two cards a lot of the time. And so your your decision making in the draft was reduced greatly. And it was almost weird in the sense that party was not better than just the straight tribes. So it almost made it feel more tribal because you knew like, okay, I can go hard after clerics. And if I get cut, I still have this fail safe. So it almost exacerbated the tribal nature of the format because it incentivized you to go so aggressively after getting into the tribes because you knew there was a safety net for you. Yeah. Number 49, Zendikar Rising is not even close to a greatest of all time format. And I have to say, I'm kind of embarrassed that I thought this. I think for multiple weeks on the show, I was like, it's almost there for me. I'm about ready to call it the goat. And it is not even close for me at this point. Yeah, I am proud that I stayed stayed <laughs> staunch on not a goat format. And it's it's interesting, right? Because I think the people that were talking about it being a goat format, maybe potentially yourself included, that was when 
there was all the MDFC tension in pick orders, right? Mm-hmm. And it would be a really cool format if it turned out, you know, that those MDFCs were high picks and they pushed you into colors and were some of the best cards. And I think there's also that element of wanting to feel smart, right? Where you know that MDFCs are really good and other people don't, but it just didn't pan out that way. So I think the format was, you know, really, really good for the first three weeks while there was all still of that getting sorted out. And then once it got sorted out, the format just didn't have much else to offer. So it was almost just this giant plateau. You know, you see the line going up and then it just flatlined. And it was a fine format to draft, but nothing special, I think, after the MDFC stuff got sorted out. Right. Number 50. The best thing about Zendikar Rising was the Lords of Limited versus Resources Showdown. Yeah, this was awesome. And I really, really hope we get to run it back when Kaldim comes out. Oh, yeah. I am counting down the days till we get to take revenge. It was a fluke, right? Yeah, I mean, we, I demand a recount, really. 5-4 could have gone <laughs> a, any way, really. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a blast. Really appreciate uh, LSV, BK, and Marshall throwing down the gauntlet and including us in what was, I think, one of I, is that the best limited event of 2020. I think so, probably, right? In competition with what? <laughs> I don't know. GP New Jersey? <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was still this year. Um, yeah, I definitely think one of the most, if not the most, hyped Limited events of 2020 for sure. Yeah, and very thankful that we got to take part in it. So that's it. Those are our 50 takes for Zendikar Rising. Anything you want to say to the format here before we wrap things up? I think this format, you know, we, we haven't had a tribal set, I think, since Ixalan, if if I'm not mistaken. Um, and this format, I think, shows that tribal sets fall flat a little bit, but also has me primed for, you know, if in the next couple of years we see another tribal set, I think I'm going to approach it a little differently than I did initially with Zendikar Rising. I think I've learned some things about like how how powerful those are and how much you should go after those kinds of decks in these environments. Pack one, pick one, Ixalan or Zendikar Rising. Oh, that's not, that's not particularly close. I take Ixalan all day, every day. It's Ixalan for me, too. And I think most Ixalan's people fun. hated Ixalan. And I think this format, there's still a lot of people that like it. There's tons. Yeah, yeah. And that's fine. Like, I'm not here. You know, Ben and I are, are it's very clear what our opinion of Zendikar Rising is. It was not an all-timer for us. We It sort of petered out for us. It also suffers from the fact that it's a fall set. So it's out for like four months. And so there's, as a content creator, there's also like a sort of, you know, groan of, oh my God, how many more weeks do we have of this set? And we really like want to make sure we're mining it for as much as we can. Um but I, I think like I'm, we're not trying to say that we're right and other people are wrong. Like anyone can like this set. That's totally fine. Absolutely. And I think I went back to Zendikar Rising briefly in Best of One. I was losing so much last week in Kaladesh Remastered that I was like, all right, maybe maybe I'll try a different format. And I still lost in Zendikar Rising. That was not the case. But just going back to the draft portion of Zendikar Rising, it did not have much for me and I, I immediately hopped back to Kaladesh Remastered after briefly flirting with Zendikar. And I've, I've still like I said I've been doing Zendikar Rising drafts and, and gameplay and coaching sessions and there's still like plenty of interesting things that are happening in the games. There's still plenty of interesting decisions I think that can happen in the draft but it just for me it, it has run its course. Yeah. So goodbye Zendikar Rising. Thank you and anybody that's coming back and listening to this episode you know maybe sort of some flashback drafts or things like that. Um, I do think there's a lot of great information here. So, And just briefly, this whole week, I was talking about how we were going to be doing a Cube episode this week. 
but we sort of got like our wires crossed with the arena update. Um, so Ben and I record Sunday mornings. And so the cube is like just live now. So don't worry, we are going to be touching on the arena cube and the tinkerers cube when it comes out in January, I think. Um, so, but that's going to be next week once we've gotten a chance to get a, a full week of drafts under our belt. And then we'll run through as much as we can about that, that format. Yeah. Looking forward to that. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to channelfireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases, please use the code LOL at checkout to let them know that we sent you there. You can check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're under those same usernames on Twitter and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks everybody. See you later. Ultimately, the way things shook out, those four best decks were clerics, wizards, warriors, and what's the last one? Rogues. Too bad. Dang. (laughs) So close. So close. (laughs) Ultimately, the best things you could do were those four tribal decks, wizards, warriors, clerics, and rogues. (laughs) You almost forgot again, didn't you? (laughs) Leave me alone. Stop believing me. (laughs) It's hard to rattle them off, baby. I know. It's right. It's hard. I'll try again.